Hi, I'm Michael Sunoff, founder and CEO of HardToFindSeminars.com. For the last five years, I've interviewed the world's best business and marketing minds. Along the way, I've created a successful publishing business, all from home, from my two-car garage. When my first child was born, he was very sick, and it was then that I knew I had to have a business that I could operate from home. Now my challenge is to build the world's largest free resource for online downloadable MP3 audio business interviews. I knew I needed a site that contained strategies, solutions, and inside angles to help you live better, to save and make more money, to stay healthier, and to get more out of life. I've learned a lot in the last five years, and today I'm going to show you the skills you need to survive. it right on the head. An incentive program is a definite investment, and when a company is establishing an incentive program, we go through a very detailed 10-point system to ensure that we cover everything. And with that said, you have to identify those things, and you have to work a system to make sure that you are maximizing your return. And an incentive is properly run, and communicated incentive program is going to yield a high return on investment. It's almost difficult to get them to fail. The average incentive program, when you look at if it's increasing performance by 22% or more, if you are not using an incentive program, then you are leaving money on the table in the form of lost sales or productivity. Hi, this is Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff's Hard to Find Seminars.com. Here's an interesting interview I did with an, an expert on incentive programs that could show your business how to get more out of your employees, more production, and to make more money. It's, here's some interesting statistics. He says U.S. corporations spend well over $120 billion on customer loyalty in employee incentive programs. They use this to accomplish a wide range of goals and objectives. The reason is simple. Incentive programs work. As a matter of fact, they are considered to be amongst the most consistently effective way in increasing employee profitability of all types of organizations. Incentives are proven to increase performance by an average of 22% or more. Incentives consistently deliver a high return on investment. Incentives change long-term behavior, and this has been proven according to Paul. There's an entire industry of resources and experts committed to developing successful incentive and motivational programs. In this exclusive interview, I talk with incentive expert Paul, who shares with me his detailed 10-step process to ensure incentive success. You'll see why successful incentive programs start with a plan and not with a prize. Paul tells me about an often overlooked and ignored method of tripling the returns on incentive programs. He also lets me know proven methods you can use in your business that can double the effectiveness of an existing incentive program. You'll learn how to avoid several major mistakes that could doom your incentive program before it even starts. After listening to Paul in this interview, you'll see why considering the service of an incentive expert could be one of the best investments you ever make. This is the type of recording you want to listen to more than once. It's chock full of information. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get going. Give me a remedial definition of what an incentive program is and what kind of company could use one. An incentive program is essentially an effort by an organization to modify the behavior of their target audience through the use of some sort of reward mechanism, whether it's cash, merchandise, or travel are the three big ones that are going to be used. That's the bottom line definition is that we're modifying behavior through the use of incentives. Okay, and who is the ideal type of company who could benefit from incentives? The most common is a sales organization. Another very, very large market is for safety incentives where it is in a plant environment and there are safety issues and as a result of the accidents, companies are finding that their workers are getting injured, they're losing time on the job and their OSHA bills are going up, their insurance is skyrocketing and it makes it very, very difficult for them to compete in their markets with their unemployment costs and their workman's compensation costs out of line. Any environment where you have a lot of team 
members working together, you can easily use incentives to increase the performance of the individuals as well as the team. As a matter of fact, you typically can double the effectiveness of the incentive program when you incorporate a team element into it as well. The caveat that the main reward mechanism is not dependent on the team performance, and the team reward can be something as small as a pizza party to recognize the team. But what happens and where people fail in team incentive programs is where they tie the main bonus award to the performance of the entire team. And if there are people who are slacking, the people who are working hard strongly resent the ones who are slacking, and it can actually backfire on the program. Tell me about the groundbreaking study from the Incentive Federation. The research behind incentive programs was conclusive that incentive programs work. Is that true? That is true. Well, prior to 2000, everything was pretty much hearsay and anecdotal evidence. There was really no consistent, valid, and reliable university-sponsored research that was conducted to verify the effectiveness of incentive programs. So that landmark study by the Incentive Federation determined that the incentives that offer tangible rewards and properly designed and implemented and managed increased performance by an average of 22%. And team incentives, as I said, could almost double that. And not only that, they also increase the interest in the work and performance towards a goal. People get a lot out of it personally. It's very, very gratifying when they feel they're being rewarded for their accomplishment of a goal. It also showed that the incentives increased the number of quality employees attracted to an organization and improved the retention of other higher quality workers. Obviously, if I'm working for an organization and my friends or neighbors or associates or people of similar background and interest talk to me and I say, you ought to come to work for my organization, they really, really take care of us. They see me with new golf clubs or going on a cruise, that obviously makes my employer very attractive. It also showed that both the employees and the employers place a very, very high value on incentive programs. So employers see the results, the employees see the rewards, and it works very well all around. Another thing that was really key is that so often companies make the big mistake of just offering cash as an incentive, feeling that everything is going to be driven around cash. If you interview employees, the common person is going to say, give me more money. However, studies have shown when just being given more money, that necessarily is not going to improve performance. And actually, the numbers that came out of that study showed that actually for every $1 that you spend in travel or merchandise, you'd actually have to spend three times the amount or $3 to get the same ROI. So bottom line is travel and merchandise give you three times the ROI as compared to cash programs. Any stories that listeners can relate to on the extreme power of a good incentive program, like a before-after type case study, anything that you can think of? There's a couple of big studies that were done. One of the big ones was the Goodyear Tire and Auto Company had done a cash versus merchandise and travel comparison to their dealers, and they found that the dealers that used merchandise and travel as compared to cash as an incentive program had, I think it was in the 25 to 30% range improvement in performance. Can you set the stage and give a specific of how Goodyear would have used this in the company? Within the company, there would be a pre-announcement that something special and grand was coming out to the dealers and the distributors of Goodyear products. And then there would be a big announcement with fanfare, and they would have support materials coming out. They would have ad specialties and promotional products coming out. Out, and a part of that package would be a very, very clearly defined set of rules and objectives. So a case study showed that the dealers who were offered merchandise and travel, their performance was almost 25 or 30 percent higher than people that were offered just cash rewards. So that really nailed down the value of a cash award. The Taco Bell study showed that the stores that had an incentive in place for their employees were outperforming drastically the stores that did not have any type of incentive for their employees, both in customer retention, employee retention, as well as profitability was drastically higher for the participating stores. Any others that you can think of? Well, a customer of mine is a redistributor of office supplies and paper products and janitorial supplies. I've run a couple of different programs with them, one for their sales reps where the winners got the opportunity to go 
to the Super Bowl, which is obviously a very, very nice prize. Others had the opportunity, if they didn't win the Super Bowl, they still had the opportunity to win TVs and grills and other very, very high-end programs. There were eight suppliers that participated in that program, and they were very, very big-name paper and janitorial suppliers, and the company sales who were of those participating suppliers, on the average, increased 180% over the previous period, and that was through the sales reps. And then we had another program we just wrapped up, actually, at the end of last year, where we offered to their top 200 distributors. So my customer would sell the products to a distributor. So if you're a local distributor, you're obviously not going to buy a truckload full of paper towels or toilet paper from Kimberly Clark. You're just not large enough. So my customer as the redistributor is the supplier to the smaller distributor. The distributors that we had participating in this program, the one thing when we mailed out the program, we had an 83% immediate enrollment of the program, which is just absolutely phenomenal results to have that many of your customers say, yes, please sign me up. And of those ones that did sign up, 70% of the participants increased their sales by 125% or more, 50% increased their sales by 50% or more, and the top 20% increased their sales by over 200% from the previous period. And in addition to that, the customer was also penetrating new markets, and they were able to establish strong footholds in markets where they had been having trouble establishing any type of dominance prior to that. What would you tell a medium-sized company or small company company or even large company who has no incentive in place, are they losing money because of it? You are losing money. The customer is not offering any types of incentives. They are leaving money on the table because an incentive program is really a pinpoint precision target marketing program where you are directly impacting the behaviors of those who can most definitely impact your results. You know who those customers are, or you know who those salespeople are, or you know who the employees are. The average incentive program, when you look at if it's increasing performance by 22% or more, if you are not using an incentive program, then you are leaving money on the table in the form of lost sales or productivity. I guess most companies believe their incentive program is you work for me and you get a check. I find that more often with entrepreneurs than with companies who have sort of a broader look at things. I have very many entrepreneurs say that exact same thing to me or even the old-line VPs of sales who say their reps should be out there cold calling, why should I pay them any more to do the job that they should be doing? Well, the reason you should pay them more is because you might have a rep who's at 100% of quota with an incentive program. That same rep is going to be at 120-plus percent of quota, or the rep who is just struggling to get that next 60% of people who really are also providing a large number of sales. By providing the incentive program to them, you're going to get a 20-plus percent increase performance improvement on that entire group. Say that I'm not going to do it is essentially saying, well, because I'm paying them cash, what they're doing is very, very good, and I'm happy with it. I don't need them to do more. If I don't have an incentive program in place and I'm considering hiring you or someone to put one, it's really free because the increase of profits and the sales generated because of the incentive program can pay for the program itself. You nailed it right on the head. An incentive program is a definite investment, and when a company is establishing an incentive program, we go through a very detailed 10-point system to ensure that we cover everything. And with that said, you have to identify those things, and you have to work a system to make sure that you are maximizing your return. And an incentive is properly run, and communicated incentive program is going to yield a high return on investment. It's almost difficult to get them to fail. You're listening to Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. What's the lifespan of an incentive program? Can it be ongoing for years and years, or do they only last a limited amount of time? Typically, people are going to look at three different strategies. Zero to three months is considered a short-term incentive program, and that has the least amount of impact. And that might be used in a retail environment where a retailer says to the customers or says to the employees, we need to move something real fast for whatever specific promotion or reason, and we're going to get it out of here so they get a real quick spike that is not going to last. The next is going to be a three- to six-month incentive program that can be effectiveness, but part of the problem with that is not being able to communicate the message effectively throughout a longer period of time to influence the behavior. So if somebody takes three or four months to identify and understand what they need to do to perform and win, they only have two months left to actually excel. The six to the 12 month are the ones that are found to be the optimal time frame for an incentive program that is going to yield the highest results. When you start going beyond 12 months on the same incentive program, 
program, you really risk burnout. It's very, very difficult to stick to a consistent message. So what I recommend to customers is let's make a 12-month incentive program, and we know it's going to work, so halfway through that incentive program, we're actually planning the following incentive program, which may have a similar reward mechanism, but we're just changing the theme, and we're also changing the behaviors. One of the great advantages of a behavioral-based incentive program instead of just a results-based incentive program, Michael, is that a behavioral-based that behavior, once it changes, that's ingrained. As you probably heard, that's 21 days to change a habit. If it's the same type of strategy, okay, well, we've worked on this for 6 to 12 months, and now this new behavior is ingrained in that participant, particularly from the employee or the customer who says, I am buying from them for this reason. They're giving me this, or an employee says, what I have just done, I have, say, it's in a bank retail teller location. The bank teller, they're going to identify the five key behaviors or three key behaviors that they know is going to really make the customer the happiest. And there are studies out there that identify that, or an incentive consultant is going to research it and give you those desired behaviors. So when you reward those behaviors over a long period of time, they're changed. So when you come up with a new incentive program, it's a very, very results-based, but you identify the next set of behaviors that you want to change. So each time you come out, you are looking for identifying the next three or four core behaviors that are going to give you the maximum return on investment. What conditions must my company have? What must be in place to make me a good fit for an incentive program to work best? Well, that's another really good question because often people have many internal problems and issues that might need to be addressed. If a manufacturing facility is on strike, obviously, an incentive is not going to do anything for them. If they have a poor product or a defective product, an incentive is not going to do anything for them. For that to be effective, the behaviors need to be defined. You've you got to be sure that it's the behavior change, the reason for the change or the lack of performance is motivational and not environmental. If you've eliminated the environmental factors, such as job security, the quality of the product, and other items like that, you narrow it down and you know its behavior. If it's motivation-based, then the best intervention is going to be an incentive program. What behaviors are we talking about in human beings that make incentive? of programs unnatural. Well, when you go back to our college days and you look at the groundbreaking research of Abraham Maslow, we know that the more someone has met a basic monetary need, the more they will have psychic needs that have little bearing on cash compensation. But what that essentially is meaning is that, okay, I've got my cash, I'm living comfortably, my wife has a job or my spouse has a job, we're living comfortably, and I don't need to work any harder to gain any more comfort. And since they don't need to work harder to gain any more of their creature comforts, they are most often are not going to work any harder. However, when we add the incentive element in there, that now comes towards the self-actualization where now if I perform well in the incentive, I can brag to my family, I can brag to my coworkers, I can tell my neighbors that I'm going on a cruise. So I have the brag factor and plus just the personal pride in a job well done and a job well rewarded. Those are the kinds of things that we can talk about in our society versus just the cash compensation. Is paying them just enough to keep them motivated an effective strategy, and could paying my employees too much cause them to become fat and happy and lazy where my production goes down? Well, if you're paying them too much and they know they're being overcompensated for it, it can be pretty easy to tell. And you get that comfort level in there that, well, hey, I'm making a lot. I don't need to work any harder to earn this kind of money. And you're not getting anything more out of it. From the other end of the extreme, the effectiveness of incentive programs is assuming that the base employee needs are being met. It almost comes to a philosophical interpretation of that. If you're just paying them just enough to get by, then you really need some sort of a dynamic incentive program and a very, very deep understanding of how you're going to motivate and change the behavior and provide them with the tools necessary to change their behaviors. If you're not providing them with the tools and not providing them with the education and you're not providing them with the training, just paying them enough to get by means that you're going to have a revolving door of employees. They're not going to feel fulfilled at the bottom level of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and since they're not feeling fulfilled there, it is likely that they are always going to be on the lookout for a better opportunity. All right, we talked about the different timelines and lifespans of incentive programs. Can you talk about any specific incentive programs that work best, types of incentive programs? Can you give me like an example of how one 
funds used, like what the employees hear from the company that gets them excited and motivated? Well, when you're choosing the type of program, there's three basic types of programs, and one is an open-ended program where the budget is not set because higher performance is going to yield higher returns, and those are the most effective. And employees can always say, hey, I just earned a TV, but if I keep going, I can earn a cruise or I can earn a trip. A close-ended or a tournament program have a predetermined number of winners. That is not as effective because, as I mentioned earlier, once the certain people know that, okay, the top 21 or the top 201, I don't have a chance of getting in there. Then the plateau program is very, very effective, and I've had very great success with this, combining it with an open-ended program where you award points for achieving different plateaus of performance. And what that does is that rewards everybody from the highest performers. They're going to get the greatest rewards. The medium performers, they're going to get more rewards than they would have had they not improved their performance. The lowest performers, typically the bottom 20%, there's nothing you can do to motivate them. What you need to do is plan a very, very exciting kickoff program, a launch that is going to be memorable. Very often, companies come out and they spend a large sum of money on developing an incentive program, and they announce it via an email or a memo. They might be spending several hundred thousand dollars on a cruise or grand event, and then they just tell the employees, oh, by the way, you can win a cruise if your sales increase by 20%. You've got to have a great kickoff. You've got to have great communications. You've got to convey the importance of the program. And the communications are key in conveying the importance of the program. The value of the award also communicates the value of the program and the importance of the program to the organization. Can you think of an example of a company that you remember that had a great kickoff, communicated well with the employees, and was a huge success? Can you tell the story about that? Well, the one I mentioned earlier about the Super Bowl program was fun because initially they came to me and they said, we want to have an incentive program and we're going to give away 10 Super Bowl trips. And I said, well, who's going to win? And they said, what do you mean? I said, if you're just giving away trips, give me the top 10 reps and let's just tell them they're going to win a Super Bowl trip. And they said, what are you getting at? And I said, well, what about the remainder of the salespeople? Don't we want to get better results from them? And they said, well, yeah, that's a good point. So that's when we started including the merchandise and travel and other things or created a catalog of really high-end, nice things for these sales reps to earn. And by the way, these are sales reps that were earning, to be employed with this company after a year, you've got to be earning 100, 120. Their top people are earning seven figures. So these are people who are motivated by money but can be motivated by more. All right, so you worked with the owner of this company, and then you guys decided to give away 10 Super Bowl tickets, but you said, let's go further. Let's make incentives for all the employees to get increased productivity. You created like a color catalog? Yes, with a wide variety of merchandise programs and packages that were available. I said, well, we've got to make an exciting kickoff. And they said, what do you mean exciting? And I said, where do you typically announce your program? And they said, well, here. And I said, this is a warehouse. I said, this is a good six-figure program. Let's make it exciting. We're going to have this kickoff at Paul Brown Stadium, where the Bengals play. At the time, the Bengals weren't doing it well, but still, it's a very nice facility. So they invited all the employees out for a game? We sent out a little quiz to them in advance and said, who's your favorite football team? What's your favorite color? What kind of car do you drive? And what's your shirt size? And they didn't know why we were asking that question. But what we were trying to do is we then took their favorite football teams, and we got NFL team jerseys with their name and their sales number on the back. And we gave that out during the kickoff meeting. We had Jim Breach, who was an ex-kicker for the Bengals. He was their place kicker for years and held several records. And he came and gave a motivational speech. We also played a family feud game amongst the reps where it was about product questions as well as questions about the company history and why companies should buy from my customer. And in addition to that, we combined that with a trade show for all the vendors who were sponsoring it. And the vendors actually footed the entire bill because of an increase in sales they could see coming from this program. How many employees did the company have? The company has several hundred employees. At that particular launch, there were 60 sales reps that were involved. Many of them had 200% increases in their sales of the affected products. Everyone went to the game. You had all those events. The announcement was made about this wonderful incentive program, and you got great results. We got great results. We kept up with bi-weekly communications that let them know where they stood in relation to the other sales people. How was communications made? That was communicated via email as well as we did some brochures that reinforced 
the program and the value of the reward. When you're sending out communications, Michael, you want to constantly be reinforcing. One is what do you need to do? That's the first thing. What is the behavior that you need to change? So if it is sales, is it making more calls that's doing it? Is it maximizing and leveraging your existing relationships? Is it getting referrals and all the other things that we are taught in the HMA system? So identify those behaviors and constantly be communicating those. The other things you can reward people for very effectively is for training. Very often, since it is behavior-based, they may need training on how to best perform that behavior. So you can even tile a sub-incentive program into the grand incentive program and say, if you complete this online training program by X period of time, we're going to give you an extra 500 points in the program. So there's always an opportunity to train, and there's also an opportunity to reinforce the company's brand image and their unique selling proposition, why people are doing business with us. So those are the three things. Is we want the behaviors, we want a reinforcement of the reward mechanism, and also we want to reinforce the company's USP. So that mantra is going out on the sales rep's tongue every time they talk to a customer. How about name recognition of points and people and where they stand? Kind of like a whiteboard in a phone room where everyone knows where everyone stands. Is that an effective way? That is highly effective in a sales environment or perhaps a telemarketing sales environment. However, in other types of environments, such as in safety programs, you don't want to do that. If it's in a customer service organization, very often the type of person that is driven to the customer service job is going to be feeling very, very humiliated, either sometimes by seeing their name at the top or by seeing their name at the bottom. If it's in a manufacturing environment or a production environment, which is safety-related, what we want to do is highlight the people who perform safe behaviors. One of the problems with incentive programs in a safety environment, and OSHA can frown very, very strongly and actually start to find companies for these types of things, is when they are rewarding only no accidents, because that leads to non-reporting of accidents. Mm -hmm. And it also leads to peer pressure to not report. So the bottom line in that sales environment, definitely tout the standings. The big people want to see their names on top. The people who are getting better want to see their names moving up. And the people at the bottom, they're going to say, I can't fit in this competitive environment. You're listening to an exclusive interview found on Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. What kind of legalities do I have to worry about and make sure I'm not overstepping any state contest laws and things like that? Well, one of them, as I just mentioned, is when it's a safety program, it comes to accident avoidance, and OSHA frowns and unions frown deeply on that. The other one, and it's a particularly, if this is a publicly held company, you've got to consider the Sarbanes-Oxley implications and the reporting of income, how it's going to be reported, the exact value of the reward must be properly recorded, and if you are a public company, you are going to have to keep extremely detailed records on what was rewarded, how it was reported as compensation, and how it is going to affect an employee, as well as the taxability, I should say, of the reward. Is an incentive program something that can be written off as business expenses? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be written off for business expense. The value of the reward in a program such as a length of service award or a safety reward, there are different types of things that the IRS is going to allow almost to be a gift, so the company can write it off in the employee does not have to report it. Typically, if it's a safety program or a length of service program, you can give a value of up to $600 in a one-year period that the employee does not have to report, and the employer can still write off. Once you get out of the length of service rewards or the safety environment, pretty much everything is going to be reported as taxable income. All right, we talked a little bit about tracking and administration. One fear I have, if I hire you and your firm to put my incentive program together, am I going to need to bring on an extra staff member to handle all the tracking and the administration, or is this something that you take care of for me? That has been greatly simplified due to the advent of the Internet, enterprise software, CRM applications. The bottom line, though, is that the customer is going to need to provide me or the incentive house with that initial data, and we do need to be able to track the data. So when that is done, if they're lacking it, particularly if it's a smaller to medium-sized company that may not be full of technology, as I said, there are fairly inexpensive programs that can be implemented to track it. But still, at the point of sale, somebody has to be collecting the data, and typically if it's in a sales environment or customer service environment, they are tracking the performance of those people. 
with the Internet, there's been greatly, greatly simplified. Very often it's just the uploading of a spreadsheet. Your, your CRM vendor or your incentive house technology vendor, upload it, they automatically calculate points. It's really amazing the technology that's driving this business. In addition to that, by using that technology, particularly for a smaller organization, they can save a great deal of money by not having to invest in their own in-house technology. So if I wanted to talk to you in more detail about designing and developing an incentive program, what's going to happen when I call? What are the first things that you're going to ask me? Take me through the information you're going to need from me. What can I expect to happen, and how long is it going to take? I'm going to ask you... What are your objectives of the program? Why are you doing this? Who is your key audience? Who is the audience that you're trying to use? We're going to discuss the type of incentive strategy. We're going to discuss the past performance. We're going to decide on the measurement criteria. We're going to identify what we call the behavioral gap, which is the difference between your goals and the performance of the current target audience. We're going to want to know that. We're going to want to know, have you run an incentive program in the past? Has it worked? Did it not work? If it did work, why do you think it worked? If it didn't, then how did you do it? And let's take a look at how did you communicate it. What is your budget? You realize that this could be an expensive undertaking with the understanding that your back-end rewards are going to pay for this thoroughly. We're going to look at planning on the budgeting. The budgeting is going to be 70 to 75% for rewards, 20 to 25% for communications, and 5 to 10% for administration and tracking. We're going to determine the criteria. Is it going to be the percentage of sales or profits if it's going to be a sales operation, if it's going to be an improvement in performance or decrease in accidents or an improvement in plant productivity. So those are the types of things that we're going to have to look for for the budgeting. I should mention this, too, is that very often companies can get very, very scared when they look at, oh, my gosh, if everybody gets this top reward, it's going to cost me a fortune. Everybody is not going to hit that high performance. You're still going to have that 80-20 rule that the performance is going to be broken up. So not everybody can earn the maximum reward. You know, we want to identify the target audience. What are the demographics? of the target audience? What is their age, income, education level? What is the best method of communicating with them? If it's in a plant environment, it's not likely going to be internet communications. However, if you're in a high-end sales environment, those are the types of people who are going to have quick access to the internet and are going to be using it. What is this target group? What do they think of your company? If it's your salespeople, perform some focus groups. And I've done that and spent a day in a company's operation interviewing both management and employees and finding out what do you think of this company? Because very often that's going to identify whether the behavioral gap as I mentioned earlier, is due to motivation or other issues. And I have said to prospective clients in the past, I'm sorry, but right now is not the time for an incentive program. You need to fix these other problems first. Are you trying to reward employees, prospects, or channel partners? Do they have the skills? Do they have the product knowledge necessary? Or are we going to need to perform additional training? Who else has an impact on this program? Are there customer service, production, and shipping personnel? I've seen disasters and incentive programs where the incentive itself was a huge, huge success, but production capacity fell so far behind that the sales reps and the customer base were totally alienated by the program, which started out as something very, very exciting. We want to know what motivates the audience. We're going to perform some focus groups, and that's where is it going to be cash, is it going to be merchandise. We want to research the participant involvement. We want to understand the participants and what is important to them. We want to talk to those people. We want to see if there's any types of cultural issues. Sometimes we might be in a bilingual organization. Well, obviously, with the many Hispanic workers, particularly in the country, are we going to need to provide different types of performance rewards? Hispanics are very, very family-oriented. If you have a very, very large Hispanic population in your environment, then you're going to want to include the family in your incentive program. If it's non-Hispanic in our typical white middle class or whatever you choose to define it, it's going to be more individual-based. But very often, I do recommend involving the family, so the more touch points that we can do. We're going to look at the program duration. How long are we going to be? And once again, I'm going to recommend at least a 6- to 12-month program. We've got to define the program rules. We've got to have very, very clear objectives. We want to make sure that the program's objectives are going to be a stretch, but very, very attainable goals. We want to make sure that the program rules are going to be very, very clear. So we're going to say, what are the rules? Companies very often have way too many objectives and way too many rules, and 
it's like reading the back of some sort of a contract where nobody understands it. They don't understand what they need to do. So very often what I will recommend is that I will say, let's get some other people involved developing the rules and get them involved at the very, very beginning. And you tell them the objectives that you're trying to achieve and let them know if they feel that's the same issues that they have for non-performance. Am I not buying as much from you because you're not giving me the proper incentive or is your quality poor? As I mentioned earlier, we're talking about program communications. How often are we going to communicate with the audience? If it's an employee audience, you can have far more communications than you are with a customer audience. Very often, you've got that fine line being drawn between over-communicating with the customer and communicating just the proper amount of information. I want to know, since who they are, what communications are you sending out to them right now? How are they responding to those communications? How are your salespeople, your customer service people currently following up? What type of relationship do you, your employees, and your salespeople have with your customers? Do we need to address that issue as well? We want to look at the type of reward selection. What reward are you thinking of offering? What have you offered in the past? Once again, we go back to the cash versus merchandise and travel debate that I mentioned earlier. But a big mistake people make in selecting rewards is a CEO or a CFO or somebody says, hey, I went to this island or I played golf here and I had a great time, so we're going to go there. But that's great if everybody golfs and loves the Caribbean. But if some people say, well, I hate the Caribbean, I don't golf, there's no incentive there. So we have to target that reward mechanism to the demographics. We want to know in advance how we're going to measure the progress. How are you going to track the outcomes? What are the measures that we're going to use? And what is the method of collecting data? Basically, there's a simple tool that was provided by the Site Foundation. We want to determine the process. How are we going to measure that in a numeric way? What are the two or three related processes or outcomes that are going to be measured? What is the basis for comparison? Typically, it's going to be a fiscal period, or if it's a productivity issue, we're going to say this period of productivity to this period of productivity. We want to have a very, very clear unit of measure. We want to know the value of a unit of improvement. So if it is an increase of 10% in productivity, what is the dollar value of that clerical employee improving their productivity by 10%? What does that mean to me as an organization? In sales, it's typically easier to measure, but we want to have quantifiable measurement criteria. The award level for each unit of improvement. And we also have to realize that very often you may need different types of rewards for different levels of your organization. So we may be involving shipping, production, and sales in this operation. But if the shipping people are making 10 bucks an hour, production are making 25 an hour, and the salespeople are bringing in 100 grand a year, then we're going to need different types of reward mechanisms. Typically, when you're looking at, for budgeting purposes, as I mentioned, the percentages, but you're going to want to look at a value to motivate someone is a number to use between 3% and 8% of their compensation for that given period of time. So if we have a sales rep that's earning $100,000 a year and it's a one-year program, then we should be looking at a reward mechanism between $3,000 and $8,000. That should be what the person can strive for. That is going to have the most and deepest meaning to them. I want to know from the company, what type of tracking mechanisms do you have in place or am I going to need to outsource this? I'm going to then, say, perform and set up regular periods of time for analysis and feedback. One month after the launch of the program, I'm going to want to communicate with the participants and the company to say, does everybody understand the rules? I'm going to call a couple of the participants and say, what do you perceive as the behaviors you need to do to earn this reward? Once I get that feedback, if it's very, very clear and we've come out with the proper communications, then we'll continue with the communication strategy. But as with any other business strategy, we may have to change mid-course. Well, obviously, there is a lot that goes into this. This is not a simple undertaking. And you, Paul, you've got a very busy practice currently, and I want you to set some criteria for anyone listening to this as honestly and straightforward as possible. Who would you tell not to call you about an incentive program? I would say do not call me unless your target audience is going to be at least 150 to 200 people. People, then you should be going to a much smaller organization or trying to do that in-house. I would say if you are the type of person that thinks that an incentive program is a cure-all for your organization's woes, do not call me because if you are not going to be willing to identify other issues that are not performance-related or motivation-related, such as poor quality, poor training, poor hiring practices, poor customer reputation, do not call me on that. You need to take a look at your operations.
situation and make those corrections first. I would also say if you're not going to be willing to spend at least $150,000 or $200,000 on an incentive program that is going to give you typically a 22 to 30% plus return, then don't call me on that. I do want at least how my fees are structured and I want to make sure that it's well worth my time. And if you do not know your target audience and you're hoping that this is going to get you to identify your target audience and you don't know anything about your employees or your customers, you have other issues and other marketing and production issues that you need to identify in advance. So I want someone who does have an operation that is smooth and well running, who is willing to spend $150,000 or $200,000 necessary, and who is willing to let me take the reins. And they're willing to take advice, and they're willing to go the extra mile, and they're willing to provide training, and they're willing to really invest. This is a very, very significant investment, and I want somebody who is going to say, this is a good investment for me. I want somebody who I can partner with, an incentive program that's successful. I look upon that as a multi-year client. I'm partnering with them, and we are going to really help your company grow. We're going to increase your loyalty of both your employees and your customers. I know with your practice, you're extremely busy, and generally you charge several hundred dollars just for an initial consultation, and you've agreed with me for any of our listeners from hardtofindseminars.com that you'd be willing to waive the initial 30-minute consultation fee and offer anyone interested in exploring an incentive program a free 30-minute consultation? Absolutely. For anyone who'd like to take you up on your 30-minute consultation, what would be the best phone number for them to contact you on? Michael, they could reach me at 425-905-2048. Okay, let me just repeat that. That's 425-905-2048. Four, eight. That's correct. Okay, wonderful. Well, you have given us an incredible amount of information. I can't wait to re-listen to this. It's Michael with Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com in another bonus tip. How would you like to turn your $28 book or e-book or even a concept in your head into a $3,900 information product? I'll provide you the secrets on how to do this. If you'd like a completely free 30-day trial, of my system for turning your simple book or even just a concept in your mind into an information product that you can sell for $97, $197, or even as much as $3,900 or more. This system includes a whole range of tricks and tips to help you pack your audio program full of great stories that take control of your listeners' brains. My information product creation system comes with my personal guarantee that you'll create an information product worth from 97 to 497 that's designed to sell like hotcakes. This is a 30-day free trial. If you'd like information on this, please email me at michael at hardtofindseminars.com. In the subject line, write in all caps, $28 book, and I'll email you information on how to turn your $28 book or even a concept in your mind into a $3,900 information product. Hi. This is Michael Sinoff with Michael Sinoff HardToFindSeminars.com. Here is another bonus tip and a valuable service that I offer to select clients. If you can talk into an ordinary telephone, you can be selling your own high-priced audio programs in as little as seven days. This is the easiest way on earth to create a series of powerful audio recordings for your own information product. I call you on an ordinary telephone and interview you live on a series of related hot topics about your niche subject. I take care of all the editing, all the technical stuff, and I give you the finished MP3s or WAV files and audio transcripts. I only have time to give this deluxe personalized service to a few more carefully selected clients. If you're interested in developing and creating your own valuable information products that you could have complete in as short as seven days and be selling for as high is $300, $500, even $3,900, please contact me at michael at hardtofindseminars.com. In the subject line of your email, please write info product information in all capital. Make sure I have your name and a way to contact you by phone and we can talk about your specific ideas. Or you may call me at 858-274-7851. 
Hi, it's Michael Sinoff here with another bonus tip from Michael Sinoff's HardToFindSeminars.com. It's called an audio infomercial. Your audio infomercial, which I create for you, will sell more products of yours faster, easier, and for less cost than any conventional advertising method, and I guarantee it 100%. Imagine catching yourself at concert pitch talking about what makes your business or your product service unique, what makes it special. Imagine taking a professional recording of that perfect sales presentation that I create for you and giving it to your prospect as an audio CD or an internet download from your website. I can do this for you faster than you ever thought possible with my personalized audio informational recording service. If you're interested in this unique service, please contact me at michael at hardtofindseminars.com. In the subject line of your email, in all capitals, write audio infomercial, and I will get back with you with more information. Here is another bonus tip from Michael Sinoff's hardtofindseminars.com. Did you know that I have about 25 hours of exclusive consultations on my audio clips page letter G. If you go to hardtofindseminars.com, go to the audio clips section. This is a section where I have over 117 hours of audio interviews. Page G is nothing but consultations on information product development. You have over 25 hours of me giving my best advice on how to create, develop, produce, market, and sell audio information products. Go to page G if you want to learn how to create and market your own information products. Enjoy. There's an interview in the section of the audio recordings at Hard to Find Seminars. It's with a business buying expert. His name is Art Hamill. If you go back to my site, hardtofindseminars.com, and go to the product section, along the left side in light blue, you will see a list of topics. Look for the one that says business buying. Click on that link, and you'll be taken to about seven hours of exclusive interviews with Arthur Hamill. Arthur Hamill has purchased multi-million dollar businesses, over 200 of them in his lifetime, and he will tell you how to do the same thing. It's some fascinating content, and I wanted you to know about it. Here's another tip, and it has to do with podcasts. Did you know that not only are all 187 hours of my audio recordings available for free online at my website, hardtofindseminars.com, but each one of these audio recordings is also in the form of what It's called a podcast. A podcast is a simple way for you to digitally and automatically subscribe to online and new recordings and have them downloaded into your mobile audio player, like an iTunes, iPod, or any other digital audio playing device. But the way you find my recordings on podcasts is by going to one of the number one sites called iTunes. iTunes is a virtual library for music, spoken word, and podcasts. The music and spoken word audios you'll pay money for, but the podcasts are absolutely free. And you can subscribe to my podcast. All you do is go to iTunes. You'll automatically download the iTunes software, and then you will search Michael Sunoff in the subject line, and you will find most of my audio recordings right there available for you to download. This is great if you're on the road or you're on another computer, and if you have a mobile device, it'll automatically suck them right into your digital MP3 player, and you can take any of the audio recordings on the road with you. They'll also automatically notify you of any new recordings that I post as podcasts. Also, if you search through Google or Yahoo or any of the major search engines, Michael Sinoff, and then podcast, you'll find other resources with other podcast search engines that host my podcast. I hope this helps, and if you're a podcast listener, I think you'll be happy about this. So go over to iTunes and download the iTunes software and search Michael Sinoff, and you'll have all my audio recordings available for you right there. If you'd like to hone your skills as a copywriter, I have available for you the 
largest collection of one of the all-time master copywriters. His name is Claude Hopkins. Do a search on Claude Hopkins or go to my website, ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com. Claude Hopkins was one of the founders of modern-day advertising. He was one of the all-time legends in the industry. And myself and a partner have authored a book called the Claude Hopkins Advertising Collection. We have also searched thousands of newspapers to pull out all his classic ads. He's been responsible for building companies like Pepsi and Toothpaste, Palmolive, Schlitz Malt Liquor, many household products like puffed wheat cereal that you're still using in your kitchens today and he was the master and the genius behind this. He was responsible for many of the cars we drive today like the Oldsmobile. Go check it out. ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com If you want the ultimate in education on how to write copy you cannot pass this up. So go on over to ClaudeHopkinsAdvertising.com and learn from the best. Here is another bonus resource for you, and it's about a section on my site that has about 15 hours of audio interviews with copywriting experts, including Brian Keith Loyles, including Carl Galletti, including Eugene Schwartz. You will not find this content anywhere. It'll take you to an entire collection of audio recordings, MP3 downloads, and transcripts of some of my best interviews on the subject of copywriting. You'll be able to play them, download them, print the transcripts, and it's a collection you will not find anywhere else. If you want an education on copywriting, you will not find anything better than this. You know, if you're looking for a product that you can really hustle, something that you're learning from all the techniques in, you may want to check out another website I have. It's called id10.com. That's id as in dog, 10.com. And what you're going to find out at idpen.com is one of my very first businesses. It's a business I started in my one-bedroom apartment when I had absolutely no money and I needed a product to sell. It's a pen that I manufacture right out of my house. I've been doing this for 10 years without any machinery or any equipment. I had a pen that I could manufacture for 17 cents and resell by the hundreds wholesale for a dollar and 50 cents each. It's a product that has kept food on my table and kept the bills paid for 10 years. And it's an exciting opportunity that if you're looking for something to hustle, to use your copywriting skills or direct mail education, it may be something you want to go check out. So go head on over to idpen.com. There at the front page, you'll hear me do telemarketing. You can hear me get sales right on the front page. It's fascinating stuff. And I'd urge you, if you're looking for something to hustle, to go check it out. If you go back to my site, and in the product, page along the light blue section down on the left you're going to see another link that has a lot of value and it all has to do with joint ventures. Go to that page and you're going to hear about an offer on a joint venture system like no other. If you read the letter there it will describe all the benefits and the offer is virtually risk free meaning you can order my joint venture system have it sent to you without paying a dime, have 30 days to Review it to digest all the information, and only if you're happy with it after 30 days do you pay. It's an offer you can't lose on, and if you're enjoying this content, you're really going to love what I have waiting for you on the joint venture link at the products page at hardtofindseminars.com. Go check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it.